Gospel of John, chapter 13, and the passage uh, that we have in view here in this chapter, and moving into chapter 14, is that of the Last Supper. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is leaving His disciples. He's uh, going to the cross of Calvary to die for sin. And here in this chapter, we have uh, part of His uh, discourse to them. And we're going to break in at the verse 31. John's Gospel, chapter 13, the verse 31. And, of course, there's uh, much more we could read concerning this. And uh, this entire section is very beneficial, uh, even for you in your own time to sit and to read. Uh, but this morning, we'll read from verse 31. Uh, Judas uh, has left to go out to betray the Savior. And the Word of God says, verse 31, Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, Whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? And Jesus answered him, whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. And Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Amen. And we'll end there at the end of the chapter, trusting the Lord will bless the reading of His precious Word. Let us unite together in prayer, and let us come and seek the Lord. We need His help, we need His Spirit, we need His blessing. And let us seek that, let us pray for the Word as it goes forth, that, as Paul said, that it would have free course and be glorified. Let us pray. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank Thee today for Thy Word. We rejoice that Thy Word is truth. And as we come to consider Thy truth today, Thy revelation toward us, we beseech Thee that Thou would be pleased to write Thy Word upon our hearts. And may we know the speaking voice of our God. And Father, we pray that as we delve into this chapter, we would do so and not merely as a congregation, not merely a congregation listening to a preacher. But, Father, may we be guided by Thee and by Thy Spirit. And we pray that we would be receptive to Thy Word, receptive to Thy teaching. We do remember those outside of Christ, those, Father, who perhaps have heard the gospel or maybe know very little about the gospel. And we pray that Thou would drive the truth of Thy Word home to their souls this day, that they would realize the great need they have of Christ, yes. and that 
And through thy Spirit, they would turn, they would repent, and they would trust the Savior. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the apostle said, and thou shalt be saved. Father, as we come to the Lord's table also, we pray that uh, thou would apply thy word uh, in light of ourselves coming to thy table. And we pray that we would receive that grace from thee, uh, that we would uh, reflect upon ourselves, examine ourselves. And Father, we pray that thy Spirit would enable us to uh, kill that sin, to mortify the deeds of the flesh, and to live more and more unto thee. Uh, Father, bless thy truth. May it go forth in power. May it go forth in love. May it go forth uh, in uh, the authority of thy name. And Father, bless us, we ask of thee. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen. There can be several external signs in the life of an individual that they perhaps may be a Christian, from symbols that they may wear on clothing to bumper stickers that they may place on their vehicle. And they may unashamedly carry a Bible, or they may never miss a service at their church. However, as I've already mentioned, these signs are merely outward and external evidences. Anyone can do these outward things. Anyone can put a bumper sticker on their car that speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the real evidence is found in the heart, the heart that only the Lord can see. And one of those evidences found within the heart, the heart of the true believer, that then expresses itself within our lives, is what the Savior is speaking about here in John's Gospel, chapter 13. Love, love. But I want to draw your attention to verse 34 and verse 35. Here the Savior says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And in uh, his discourse in Matthew 24 concerning the last days, the Lord Jesus Christ said this, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And our love, whether that is love toward the Lord Jesus Christ, or love toward the brethren, or our love towards others in general, it does wax and wane like the moon. It does blow hot and cold. There are times when that love is on fire, and there are other times where it is cold. But during this discourse in John 13, the Lord Jesus Christ takes time to impart some instruction and teaching before his imminent death. And he clearly teaches his disciples here and us that love toward others is a key component of our Christian living. And dear believer, this morning, our Christian faith is founded upon God's love for us. It is a love that, it is a faith that is built upon love. It is a faith that lives because of love. It is a faith that exhibits love in every aspect of its being. And the importance of love in our faith reminds us that 
Christianity is a faith that affects the heart. Christianity is a faith that affects the heart. We could tighten that up and say it is the only faith, uh, but it is a faith that affects the heart. And we need to remember that. And as we move through this message and this text this morning, let us remember that our faith, our faith in Christ, our faith in His Word, our faith in God is a faith that is not merely in our heads. It's a faith that is not merely shown by our singing and our worship and our coming to the house of God. It is a faith that must and does affect our very hearts. And in the New Testament record, we read of the Pharisees who were so zealous and so strict in their adherence to the law of God. In Matthew chapter 6, the Savior says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. That's the key thought there. Their religion was outward. They wanted to be seen. They wanted to be praised for this religion. The Savior said again in Luke 11, But woe unto you, Pharisees, for ye tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs, and pass over judgment and the love of God. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. And their adherence to the law was so strict. They tithed all the herbs that came into their possession. But yet the Savior says they passed over the love of God. There was a neglect. And the faith of the Pharisee was a faith that was very much outward and external. But true Christianity, as we've said, is an inward faith in the heart. And therefore, Christ here instructs His disciples that their faith concerns love one to another. And what is true love? True love is not something that is in the head. True love is something that is found within the heart. Our faith in Christ is inseparably linked to what must be our love, one for another. In Hebrews 13, verse 1, we read those words, let brotherly love continue. Therefore, amongst the brethren, amongst all of us, as the people of God, there must be love. And this morning, may we see something of the great love of Christ for us, but may we learn of that brotherly love that we must have one for another. And I want you to notice this morning, then our theme, setting our hearts on love. Setting our hearts on love. And firstly, I want you to see that Christ sets our hearts on His commandment to love. Christ sets our hearts on His commandment to love. I want you to notice the opening words of our point. Christ sets our hearts. We didn't merely say His or this commandment or this commandment to love, but Christ sets our hearts on His commandment to love. Because it's important, dear believer, that we understand that Christ is not speaking about a professed love or a fake love or an external love, but He's addressing the heart. This love must be in our hearts. He is setting our hearts upon love. He is setting our hearts here in this text upon His commandment to love. If you were driving to church this morning and you saw the sign uh, that said on the road, 
50 kilometers per hour. I hope you obeyed it. But secondly, I also uh, think that you did not say, well, out of my heart, out of my love uh, for uh, this country and out of my love uh, for whoever made that decision, I'll obey that speed limit. I would say it's maybe more out of a love or it's more out of your head that you kept the speed limit. Maybe, maybe love that you didn't want to uh, knock somebody down or uh, to have an accident, but maybe uh, perhaps it was out of your head. Your head told you, this is 50, therefore I don't want a ticket, I don't want pulled over, I don't want to be at the side of the road whenever everybody coming to church passes by and they see me talking to this lovely police officer. In your head, I'll keep the speed limit. But when we come to the commandments of the Lord and when we come uh, to the brethren, we're not simply to come with that same attitude because we're Christians. Therefore, in my head, I'll, I have to love everyone. It's something that comes in the heart, something that is deep within us, that is connected uh, to our faith and our love for the Savior. And Christ is addressing the heart. He's not merely speaking here about this new commandment must affect the heart. Uh, but let me suggest that all of the commandments of Christ, all of the commandments of the Lord, must be commandments that affect our hearts. In 1 John 5, verse 3, we read, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. His commandments are not grievous. Maybe there's someone who thinks that that 50-kilometer speed limit is grievous. That commandment is grievous to you. But yet, when we look at the law of God, it ought not to be grievous to us. It ought, it ought not to be something uh, that uh, binds us and restricts us, but rather something that we desire to obey out of love for God. His commandments are not grievous. And therefore, because of our love to God, we are to keep His commandments. They are not to be burdensome to us because we have been freed from the guilt and condemnation of the law through Christ. And as John Gill says, uh, these commandments are not heavy and burdensome to regenerate ones, and especially when they have the love of God shed abroad in them, the presence of God with them, communion with Jesus Christ, and a supply of grace and strength. He says that these are paths of peace, ways of pleasantness. And he says the tabernacles of the Lord are lovely. And dear believer, this morning, do you love the commandments of the Lord? Do you have a ready and willing heart to obey His Word, to obey His commandments? A love toward Him. I want you to notice how significant this commandment to love is within the Christian faith. As we've already said, love is the foundation of our faith. In John 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world. God so loved the world. And we have here the very foundation of our faith. Not us loving God. Not us persuading God to, to love us. This is all one-sided. God loved us. God loved us. The very foundation of our salvation and our faith is God. Without His love, we are nothing. Without His love, we perish. 
And this passage here in John 13 was not the first occasion in which the Savior laid down the importance of Christian love, not only toward God, but specifically toward others. In Matthew chapter 22, the verse 36 to 39, it says, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so what we have here really is a summary of the first table of the Ten Commandments, our love toward God, and a summary of the second table, which shows our love toward our neighbor. And therefore, in loving God, we are shown in the Ten Commandments ways in which we are to love Him. We put Him first. We do not blaspheme His name. We are in the day in which He is set aside for worship. And then, in regard to our neighbor, we are to show love to Him by honor and obedience to those in authority, whether it's the family, the workplace, the church, by not stealing, by preserving morality, by not lying, by not coveting, by not killing our neighbor, or as the Savior expands upon in the Sermon on the Mount, by not having an anger toward our neighbor, there is uh, to be this love. And then the Savior here in John 13 and the verse 34 says, a new commandment I give unto you, a new commandment. This commandment to love, as we've seen, we see it in the law of God. We see it in Leviticus where we read of loving our neighbor as ourself. But Christ is reminding his disciples of this commandment. It's like a new commandment because it has been corrupted by the Jews. It's been neglected. It's been ignored. And Christ is bringing it again to their attention with great freshness. It was most necessary for them as well. This is a commandment they had to understand a commandment they had to know. These disciples would be the apostles that went forth with the gospel into the world, and they had to understand the importance of loving one another. Why is that? Well, we find that James and John called down fire from heaven or wanted to to consume those that had rejected the Savior. We'll come back to that in our next point. It was a lack of love and grace. In Luke chapter 9, verse 46, we read, Then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be the greatest? If I came into church this morning and all of you were debating and arguing and fighting over who was the greatest, I would wonder what happened. Something went wrong somewhere along the line uh, to have everyone arguing who is the greatest among you. And we can look at this with maybe a bit of humor. What is going on here? They, in reality, should know better. But yet we find the disciples arguing about who is the greatest. And the Savior, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child aside, set him by him, and said unto them, Whatsoever, whosoever shall receive this child in my name, receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all the same shall be great. There was division among them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians 3, we read of division again, this time within the church at Corinth. And well, how does Paul deal with that? He brings it all together. And for the sake of time, we'll just quote what he says. We are laborers together. 
with God. There's no need for division because we are moving forward toward the same goal, the same gospel goal, and we are all laborers together in that. Therefore, there ought to be this great bond of love between us. Not laborers competing against each other, but laborers together, united by Christ in His work. A lack of love can cause such division. If such divisions were present in these scriptural circumstances, then how much more can they be present within us and within the life of the church? And dear believer, this morning, we need our hearts set upon love. Love for God, our love for the Savior. And as a result of that love affecting us, love one for another. And Christ is setting out this commandment of love because it is vitally important for His people. His servants, His church had to understand this. It was a duty. And dear believer, this morning it is your duty to love the brethren. A duty that ought to be found in your heart. We show love by loving God. Our love for God will extend toward His church and toward His people. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, we read, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. We're to love our neighbor. We're to see every man as our neighbor, not just those who live beside us. And if you live in a house in the middle of nowhere with nobody beside you, that does not mean you don't have neighbors. Our neighbors are all around us. We're all neighbors here today. We can think of the Good Samaritan. And how the Savior dealt with uh, the question, who is my neighbor? Well, quite simply, everyone is our neighbor. The love we are to show to the brethren, the love we are to show to our neighbor is love to be shown to everyone. Everyone. We are to love our enemies. The Savior said, but I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And despite their hatred toward us, there is a common ground because we are all created by God. We are all sinners. We're to pray for them. We're to show them the love of Christ. We're to show them Christ. In loving our neighbor, we're to show goodwill to them. The Savior said in Luke 6, verse 31, And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Oh, how we would treat people differently if we were treated the same way ourselves. We're to advance their cause. We're to help them. In doing that, we are to advance the cause of Christ and the gospel. We are to delight in the brethren. And let's bring this back to ourselves this morning. And those who are here, do we delight one in another? Do we have joy in each other? Do we have love toward each other? When Paul wrote to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 1, he, uh, he said in the verse 8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. He was thankful that there was a church in Rome, that there were believers here who loved the Lord. He thanked the Lord that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Paul did not mention the word love here, but we see it here, don't we? 
Hear the love for these believers. This love drove him to rejoice in their testimony, to rejoice that they loved the Lord, and to pray for them, to pray for them. Thomas Boston said, the Scottish preacher hatred towards our neighbor is a universal sin against the commands of the second table of the law. As love to our neighbor is the chief comprehensive and universal duty of the second table, so is the hatred of our neighbor the chief comprehensive and universal sin against that second table. Well, we are to have love. There are many ways in which we could look at this commandment, many ways in which we could explain how love should be shown. The question does come to us today. Christ has given this commandment that ye love one another. Are we living in obedience to this commandment? Do we truly love one another? And is that love seen within our lives? And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And that word charity is agape. And the word love that we have in John 13 here, every a single time it's translated love. Verse 34, verse 35, it's agape, the highest form of love. Paul says, if I have all these great things and I don't have love, I'm nothing. Yes. I'm nothing. Dear believer, let us desire love. Let us desire love for Christ, love for the Word, love for the Lord. Let the Lord work within our lives to give us a love one for another. Let us obey this commandment. Let us love the brethren. But we see another reason why we are to love the brethren, because Christ loved us. And secondly, then, I want you to consider that Christ sets our hearts on His example in love. Christ sets our hearts on His example in love. Again, there's a setting of our hearts. Christ is not speaking uh, to our heads. He's speaking to our hearts. Verse 34 that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And in this fallen, this fallen world, men often teach and expect things of others that they feel to do themselves. And how grievous it is when we observe uh, people who say all the right things, they tell us to do all the right things, whether it's friends, families, work colleagues, within the church, whoever it might be, yet in their own life there is the opposite taking place. We must be consistent believers. Why? Because Christ is consistent, and we see His consistency in this matter. Christ is not telling us to love one another. But just close your eyes and don't look at me. Love one another as I have loved you. Open your eyes. See the example. See the love that is within my heart, the Savior is saying. Love toward you. And that love that you have, that I have toward you, look at it. Learn from it. Love one another. Love one another. 
The Savior is outlining the necessity of the disciples and ourselves loving one another, yet He Himself never failed in that love. Never failed in that love. And here He sets forth that love as I have loved you. He sets the example, and the Savior never failed in His love toward us. That is why we have a table here this morning to remember His love toward us. That love that never failed. That love the Savior had for us in that He went to Calvary's cross to die in our place, to bear the punishment for us, to redeem a people unto Himself. Here this morning, we see not only in our text, but in remembering Christ at the table, we see His love. We see his love. Richard Baxter the Puritan said, He desired not the wealth or the glory of this world, who loved his own that were in the world, but not the things of the world, who was never lifted up or sinfully cast down, who never despised or envied man, nor ever feared man, who, being reviled, reviled not again, but was dumb as a lamb before shearers. Oh, the love! that Christ had for us. The Savior said, love your enemies. And there's a great motive for us to love our enemies because we were enemies to God. Christ loved us. Christ gave Himself for us. We had no hope but Christ. We had no salvation but Christ. We could not deliver ourselves but Christ. And this is the great example He has given us in love, laying down His life for us. The ultimate example. Consider this love to a guilty sinner, one who is separated from God because of his sin. No hope. Yet Christ stepped in. And is that you this morning? One who has no hope one who has no peace in this world, one who is lost in your sins, one who has nowhere to turn. But yet Christ gave Himself to redeem sinners. We have a hope in this world. We have a hope in eternity because we have Christ. He's our mediator, the one who came and stood in our place, the one who died for us. If we turn to John 14, the verse 6, the Savior is saying that He's leaving His disciples, but He says to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What a verse that expresses Christ's love for us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And how is He the way, the truth, and the life? Because He gave Himself as a sacrifice upon Calvary. Oh, the love that He had for us. Dear believer, oh, the love that He had for you. The love that Christ is speaking of here that we should have one for another reminds us of that great love that He had for us. It also reminds us we ought to love one another because we're redeemed. We're all the redeemed of the Lord. We're all the flock of the Lord, purchased with the precious blood of Christ. This morning, do you know that love of Christ and salvation?
Do you know that joy, that peace, that the burden of sin has been cast away, that Christ is your Savior, Christ is your Lord, Christ is your King? Oh, that you would turn from sin. You would see the love of God, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And dear sinner, the gospel that we believe in, the gospel that we preach, is a gospel of love. A gospel of love. Because God is love. God is love. Oh, turn from sin. Repent. Look to Christ and be saved. Christ is our great example, and of course, in the life of Christ, there are many examples of love. Uh, But I want to see another aspect as to why the disciples needed to hear this message, because we ourselves, as we've said, our love can be warm and our love can be cold. In Luke chapter 9, we come back to something we mentioned a few moments ago. A village of the Samaritans is in view. They did not receive the Savior. And when his disciples, breaking into that text, Luke 9, verse 52, verse 53, and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and show them a sign that they ought to receive you? No, that's not what they said consume them. This fire was to come down and to consume this village and those who rejected Christ. And the Savior turned, He rebuked them and said, "'You know not what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them.' And they went to another village. And here James and John show no love. Christ was rejected, and they desired these individuals to be instantly consumed." They had a great zeal for Christ. They desired the honor of Christ and respect toward Christ and a receiving of Christ. But all of this was let down by a heart that had no love and grace. They desired revenge for the treatment Christ received. Believer, we should never desire revenge. If Christ was a Lord of revenge, this is the perfect place for Him to teach us that very thing. But he's a loving Savior. These disciples were rebuked because they lacked grace and love. And in grace and love, they were to rise above the mistreatment of Christ. And the same is true of us. We will be trampled by the world. We will face trials and problems and the mockery of the world. If we look at the church itself and other believers, well, yes, we can face the bad attitudes of other believers and it can hurt us, and it can discourage us. But we are to follow the example of Christ, an example of love and grace. Let us rise above it with the Lord's help. Rise above those that murmur against us. Rise above those that mistreat us, and show them love and grace. Show them love and grace. The Savior was not one who called fire down from heaven. These individuals, yes, they would face the wrath of God if they would not turn from their sin. But facing the wrath of God was not in the will of God for them at that particular point. Christ moved on. 
Thomas Boston said a very interesting thought, that our love should be constant, it should be unchanging. We see that in the love of Christ. And he said our love to them, our love to others, should not be suspended on their love to us and the effects of it, but it must glow to them even though we meet unfavorable returns. In other words, our love to others and showing love to them and showing kindness is not based on their love to us or their lack of love toward us. That is irrelevant. We set that aside and we show love. Whether they love us, whether they hate us, we show love. We show love. Because the Savior here, we see his great example. Though men hated him, he showed love. And who hates Christ? Mankind, we, we hated Christ. We hated his gospel. Maybe some of you this morning truly hated the gospel of Christ in your unsaved days. Maybe you were not brought up in a Christian family under the influence of the gospel, and your heart was not soft toward it like some of us may have been, yet we were unconverted. Maybe you were brought up in this world, living in this world, hating the things of God, despising Christ. But out of love, the Savior drew him to yourself. Oh, what love! What love! One who despised the Savior being brought near to him Paul was like that. Paul the apostle. Oh, if there was a man who deserved the wrath of God, it was Paul. But the Lord showed grace and love and mercy in redeeming the man who called himself the chief of sinners. Oh, dear believer, look at the love of Christ. Show forth that love in your workplace, in your community, in your family in the church. Let us live lives that are marked by love, loving one another. And then finally, I want you to see Christ sets our hearts on being His witness through love. Christ sets our hearts on being His witness through love. If we turn back to John chapter 13 and in the verse 35, the Savior says regarding this loving one another, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And Christ is clearly showing to us that love is a fundamental Christian principle, and that love itself, as it is exhibited in our lives, testifies of Christ. The Savior said in Matthew 7, verse 16, ye shall know them by their fruits. In Galatians 5, verse 22, Paul said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And he goes on to mention other things, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And therefore, very simply, we see this thread in the New Testament that love is a fruit. It is an evidence of Christ's work of grace within our hearts. And therefore, this love that we have within us, not only toward Christ, but to one another, as the Savior says here, is an evidence all men shall know that ye are my disciples. To witness for Christ does not mean that the only thing you can do is stand up in the street and preach. It does not mean that the only thing you can do is to stand on the corner of the street and give out tracts. Those things are good. 
To witness for Christ does not mean that at a family gathering you stand up and preach for half an hour, and everyone sits and listens. If you've that opportunity, well, take it. But witnessing for Christ, as we see here, the Savior says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Showing love to others. Love to Christ, love to the brethren, love to others outside of the fold of God as well. Showing love is a witness for Christ. There's a great importance here of being witnesses for Christ by showing love in a world that is against Christ. There are those in society we can despise because of their sin. We can despise the drug dealer. We can despise the immoral man or woman. We can despise those that curse the name of Christ. But yet we are to love them. We're to desire them to taste and see that the Lord is good. We are not to compromise with such sin, but we're to show forth love toward them. Oh, how, as Christians, we can sometimes focus upon the sins that men have. And as a result of our own despising of that sin, we despise the individual. We show hate toward that individual. We drive that individual further away from any thought of God. I've seen such things happen with my own eyes. Let us not compromise on the sin, but let us show love. And especially in the context we have here in verse 34 and verse 35, let us show love one to another. Our love ought to glorify God. If you know and love the Lord this morning, then the chief aim or purpose of your life should be to glorify God. And we glorify God as we love others. Our love seeks the good of others. Our love leads to loyalty towards Christ and His people. We're to love the church of Christ, love that can change us, love that can change the church, love that testifies of Christ. Dear believer, do you have that love within your life that to the outside world, your love for other believers, your love for those who are in the depths of sin, your actions that are bathed in love, do they see those things and see Christ within your life? By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. As we close, I want you to see that it is so easy to say things, yet our actions declare the reality of our hearts to the world. In verse 36 to verse 38, Peter says to the Savior that he would lay down his life for his sake. In other words, he says to his Savior, Master, I love you so much, I would give my life for you. And Christ says, well, you're going to deny me. If we move to John chapter 18, we see that. Simon Peter stood and warmed himself at the fire. And we have him being questioned as being one of the disciples. Verses 25 to 27 of John 18. He's accused of, uh, he's accused of being in the garden with Christ. And Peter denies the Savior once. 
and twice and three times, and the cock crows. A man who said he would lay down his life for Christ could not find within him the love and the courage to say, yes, I'm with him. I'm with him. But if we turn to John chapter 21, and of course, Peter spoke of Christ and said that he would die for Christ, yet his actions, his words, while being questioned, said otherwise. He denied his Savior. In John 21, the Savior comes to the disciples. Verse 15 says, So when they had dined, Jesus saith, saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto them, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. The Savior questioned Peter here, Peter, do you love me? Lovest thou me? And Peter this is beside the sea. Beside the Savior. The sea that Peter loved as a fisherman. Do you love me more than these? Peter says, yes, I love you. Feed my lambs. We see here just very briefly how Peter's heart was turned. He said one thing. Oh, I'll lay down my life. When the rubber hit the road, to use that expression, he said otherwise. And now the Savior brings him in remembrance of this, and he points him to the future. He points him to this work as his apostle. But it's a work that has its foundation in loving Christ. Dear believer, everything that we've said this morning, everything regarding our interactions one with another and our love for one with another, it has its foundation in our love for Christ. Peter's preaching at Pentecost. Peter being cast in prison. Peter preaching for Christ. Peter uh, eventually, as history would say, losing his life for Christ. And the love that he had for the Savior, and that he lost his life for Christ, it all has this foundation in what Christ had done for him. His love for souls as he preached Christ it was this foundation in his love for Christ because Christ first loved him. And dear believer, let us warm our hearts at the table of the Lord this morning, a table that is said in memorial of the greatest love that man will ever know. Let the Savior draw you closer to him as we feast upon the bread and the cup that reminds us of his broken body and his precious shed blood. Let us focus on the foundation of our love for one another, Christ's great love toward us. May the Lord bless his word this morning for his name's sake. Amen. Let us pray. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word. We thank thee for thy love toward us, and we pray we would have love toward one another. Words of kindness, acts of kindness acts of encouragement, helping those who are struggling, encouraging one another in the Lord. Oh, how much we could say about how to go about this. But Father, even very simply, let us love Thee. Let us love Thy commandments. Let us keep them. And in doing so, let us show forth love to Thee and love one to another. Father, we pray that Christ would be first within our lives.
And as we come to thy table, Father, bless us, give us grace, draw us closer to thee. Yes. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.